It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the Word of God, and thank you that it speaks truth into our heart, our soul, our mind, our spirit, when maybe at times we are wrestling with our own thoughts or things that we've heard or ideas that are influencing us that may just be inconsistent with what the truth of your heart and your will may be. So we ask this morning as we open the scriptures, as always, you'd help us to continue now in our worship by just submitting ourselves to the truth of your word and being expectant. God, we're asking, speak to us and let us hear your heart and let us hear a word from you as we study this portion of your scripture this day. And we ask your blessing and ministry of your spirit now in Jesus' name, amen. You know, is it possible that you may right now find yourself sort of losing hope regarding things? Is it possible even that you are honestly feeling a little bit hopeless? The word hopelessness is defined as a feeling or condition of despair. It describes when a person is severely lacking hope in their life. And I think one of the greatest struggles in humanity, just generally, is at times that we can battle on occasion with thoughts or feelings of hopelessness. And our text here that we're going to look at together this morning addresses this, how God himself is the answer for that. God himself is the answer for hopelessness and how he can assist us in the midst of those struggles. God can supply, we're going to see, a supernatural hope that gives us the grace we all need at times to keep going, even when maybe it may be difficult or even seem impossible to do such. The backdrop, of course, in the book of Romans, since we haven't been studying it regularly together at this time, Paul's been addressing how God's wonderful salvation has been offered to all of humanity. And he's described this grand salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ God has given to us in his love, and how in light of that, that he is so worthy of praise and worship that it should cause us to be able to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, the very last statement that Paul has just made in the prior verse, if you look there in verse 12, the very last statement was a quotation from Isaiah chapter 11, where he said, in him, that's the Lord, the Gentiles shall hope. So as Paul quotes that statement, that verse of scripture from Isaiah chapter 11, his mind, it seems, is now triggered to begin to think about this next thing that we come to in verse 13 of how God himself can and wants to instill hope into the soul of every person who is willing to put their trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, thus leading to this brief prayer we now come to in the 13th verse in our text this morning, where basically Paul is expressing sort of a spontaneous prayer that God would just instill abundant hope into the hearts of people. And notice it's the word of God, having been quoted in verse 12, that actually prompts Paul into this responsive prayer in light of the truth of what the scripture declared in Isaiah chapter 11. As we look at this spirit-inspired prayer this morning in Romans 15 verse 13 that we have recorded, 
Notice Paul's prayer is birthed in an understanding of who God is. That is, his actual prayer, his request, is in light of considering the nature and the character of God. That's what prompts him to pray the way that he actually does, of what he knows is true about God. You take notice as well that Paul's prayer, we're going to see, focuses on experiencing things internally. And his request and his prayer of God is for the condition of people internally, not necessarily their circumstances externally. Paul's not necessarily in this prayer asking for God to change anything in circumstances, but he's asking God to satisfy the people with joy and peace and abundant hope within, despite whatever the circumstances in their lives may be. You notice in verse 13 here, as we begin to look at this together, he begins with identifying God with a title that tells us some things about God's nature. It describes something of God's attributes or character. You notice there in verse 13, the beginning of it, he refers to God in the title, calling him the God of hope. Now, we see similar titles ascribed to God in the Bible that reveal fuller aspects of God's character. We have different titles given to God all throughout the Bible that allow us to get to know who God is a little bit better. And each of these different titles kind of give a little bit more light or color to elaborate more about who God is and what God's like so that we would have appropriate thoughts regarding our great God. For example, in Psalm 31, God is called there the God of truth, indicating that as the God of truth, there's absolutely no error in any of God's ways. There's no error in any of God's word, in anything that God has spoken. There's no error in anything that God does. He is a God of absolute truth, and he's always right in all of his dealings, whether we comprehend or understand what may be going on or not. We can trust that God's a God of truth, a God of righteousness. Psalm 59, God is referred to there as the God of mercy which speaks of how God kindly restrains himself from the full brunt of what we could endure at times when we do things wrong and maybe we deserve some consequence that God is a God of mercy and oftentimes he deals with us, giving us the restrained version of things in our lives. A lot of times God in his mercy holds back what we really could be experiencing because he tempers it with his mercy even when we go through situations. Romans 15 calls God the God of patience. And there it speaks of how God graciously bears up with mankind's errors. And he's very patient with us in our shortcomings. He's very patient with us in the times when we're very rebellious in the things we may do as well. And without reacting harshly or wrongly, God often is a God of patience. A few more, Second Corinthians chapter 1 says that God is the God of comfort. That is, God compassionately consoles people who are hurting, those who are struggling, maybe dealing with the death of a loved one or some very painful or hard thing that they've gone through and they're in great grief or they're hurting physically or emotionally and God is the God of all comfort. He knows exactly how to comfort and to encourage that he's with people to help them through their hardships as a God of comfort. Second Corinthians 13, he's called the God of love. 
That is, it characterizes the great love that God has. He loves us without any conditions, and he's committed to us completely, and he always wants what's best for us because of the love that he has for us, and he is willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it costs, to take care of us in his great love being demonstrated towards us. Finally, 1 Peter chapter 5 refers to God, one of my favorites, as the God of all grace. That is that God is the God of whatever kind of grace we may need, whether it's physical grace or emotional grace or spiritual grace or whatever kind of grace we need, he is the God of all grace and however much grace we need. And sometimes we need greater amounts of grace in certain things than in other situations, but he's the God of all grace to give us what we need in favor and assistance from him so that we can continue to endure and accomplish those things that we're faced with in life. And now here in our verse this morning, verse 13, he is referred to here in this text as the God of hope. The God of hope. What a beautiful statement. Now, when we hear the word hope, understand worldly hope is defined, actually from a dictionary standpoint, hope is defined as a way of wishful thinking. So, for example, people may say, I I hope it doesn't rain today, or I sure hope this is what I get uh, at Christmas, or I hope I get that raise at my job, or I hope someday things will return back to some normalcy in the midst of the struggles of this pandemic that we find ourselves going through. It's, It's a wishful thinking. That's the dictionary definition from a worldly perspective of hope. But that kind of hope of wishful thinking is marked by an absence of certainty. The very idea of wishfulness implies there's not a measure of surety that we're unsure, but we're wishfully thinking and hoping that maybe something may happen. That's worldly hope. In contrast, biblical hope, which is a different thing, the hope that God speaks about in his word speaks of a strong confidence of something going to happen. That is, it is going to come to pass and there's a certainty attached to it. And the reason why biblical hope is different is because it's a hope that's based upon what God has said. And when God says something is going to happen, God is faithful and God has the power and the limitless resources to be able to perform what he promises. And so if God declares and says it's going to happen, God will and God is able to perform it. So the biblical definition of hope is an absolute expectation of coming good. That's what the Bible means when it speaks of hope, the absolute expectation of coming good. It's an assurance something better is absolutely going to come and we can be certain of that so when the bible here speaks of god in verse 13 as the god of hope certainly it indicates first of all that god is the origin of supplying hope inside of us when we need hope to be instilled into our lives That's important because the human heart living in this fallen world with sin and struggles and sickness and suffering, the human heart is naturally inclined to hopelessness. In fact, again, Ephesians 2 in God's word says that those who have no hope are those who are without God in this world. So those in this world who are saying no to God 
who don't want God's involvement, don't want to ignite God's existence, the Bible says those who are without God are actually without hope. Why they're living in this world. They have nowhere to rely beyond their own abilities or their own resources. And quite frankly, that could become disheartening very quickly. Yet the wonderful thing is God can instill hope experientially into the heart and soul of a person when they truly open themselves up to the God of hope who wants to give to them the hope that they desperately need within. As we encounter God personally by embracing the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, we experience the forgiveness of our sins, our guilt is removed that we carry in our lives from things we've done wrong. We have the assurance that heaven is real and that when we pass from this earth, we are going to enter into the presence of God in heaven and escape the hardships of this world. And the result of that is we begin to experience hope deep within of our soul. Again, the Bible tells us that we then have the hope of eternal life. That's a great hope that the Christian has because we have an absolute assurance that eternal life is something beyond the difficulty of this world, and it's a certain thing that we're guaranteed we're going to experience. We also, the scripture says, are living now looking for the blessed hope of Jesus' return. So I have the absolute assurance when my life here is over, I'm going to enter into the glory of heaven. That gives me great hope as I'm enduring the challenges of this life. But I also have the blessed hope that Jesus, my Lord, is coming back. And at some point prior to my death, he may come back and take me out of this world and bring me to heaven prior to my departure in death. And see, when a person is utterly hopeless, God can change that heart condition. That's what brings the change. When God's presence comes into a life, then hope is produced within that life because God himself is the God of hope and the origin of supplying hope inside of us. I think this also speaks, the God of hope, of how God himself is the best object of hope. Again, God is the best object of hope because he truly offers to us something as well as someone that is completely reliable to hope in. The Bible tells us in Psalm 42, as the psalmist was writing there, experiencing being downcast and discouraged, he repeatedly speaks of being depressed and downcast in heart. And then he says there, as the antidote, hope in God. In other words, what was the answer for the heart that was depressed, discouraged? It was hoping in God, hoping in someone who's much more reliable than we ourselves are to get ourselves out of the pit of despair or difficulty we're in, hoping in a God who is constant and reliable and all-powerful. See, we may not be able to have much hope in many other things on this earth, especially, certainly in difficult times or uncertain circumstances that we may be going through from time to time, but God is a constant rock. God is dependable. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so he is a very reliable source of hope. He is the best object to put our hope in. In fact, the only assurance any of us have of our future is that God will be present in that future and that God is able to help us if we want his assistance, no matter what comes in our future. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 78 that people can set their hope in God. 
that that's an assurance. We can set our hope in God, whatever the future may have in store for us. And thirdly, I think this phrase, God of hope, also reminds us how God himself, listen, also operates in hope. That is, the nature of God being the God of hope is he operates in hope in his perspective towards us as people. Now, this to me is very encouraging. As God works among the lives of people, he does so in great hope for what he sees is possible in people's lives. God never sees a person as a lost cause or something impossible to change in someone's life. God, honestly, is not pessimistic. He's incredibly optimistic. As the God of all hope, he's optimistic in his outlook for what can happen in people's lives. God has hope for your life. You may not even have any hope for your life right now, but God still has hope for your life. God has hope for every person, no matter what their condition or situation. God sees potential in our lives. With hope, he looks upon us and what he is able to do if we simply submit and cooperate and let his power begin to work in our lives. He has confidence of better things for all of our lives because he's the God of hope. And he looks upon us with hope in what he can bring forth. You know, it was at a very low point after great failure among the people of Judah that God declared Jeremiah 29, 11. He said there, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So when the people of Judah were at their worst condition because they had grievously failed. They had done things to put themselves in a place where they were going to go through severe difficulty and consequences because of poor choices and things they had done. It was in the midst of that that God looked upon them and said, look, yes, you're going to go through difficulties. Yes, you have put yourself in a bad spot. But God says, right now, the way I'm thinking towards you already in the midst of your failure I'm not thinking evil thoughts towards you. I'm not thinking about how I can really turn the, you know, the, the screws on you and make it even worse and make it harder. He says, I am already thinking thoughts of you, of peace, and I'm already thinking about the great future and the wonderful hope I have of what I'm ultimately going to do for you down the road as the restoration process would begin to happen. No matter where you are at today, listen, God has hope for your future. God has hope for your future. If no one else does, and if you yourself don't, God has hope for your future because God knows what he can do in your life. God is the source of hope, but notice we're going to see he's also in our text the supplier of hope. He's the one who can actually instill the condition of hope within our soul and remove despair. You notice with me in our verse, it says here that Paul is asking the God of hope, he says, I'm asking the God of hope to fill you, he says, with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. So he's asking that the God of hope would fill the lives of people. That term fill there, when you look at it in the original language, speaks to pour into a container until it's completely full. So it's reached up to the very top and ready to actually run over. It speaks of a, a fullness, a completion. He says, I pray that God would completely fill you, he says, notice, with all joy and with all peace. 
Now, when the Bible speaks about joy, understand that is not the same thing as the temporary feeling of happiness. Often we uh, interchange these words and it kind of becomes confusing. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Happiness is because happiness is dependent, the feeling of happiness, upon what happens, we might say. So if things are going great, I'm having a fantastic day, I'm happy in the morning, but if I'm driving somewhere on my way in the work and then I get into a fender bender, all of a sudden I'm not happy anymore. My, my condition changed because my circumstance changed, and now because of what happened, I'm no longer happy. Happiness is dependent upon our situation, our circumstances, so feelings of happiness can and will fluctuate. They will come and go. That's what happiness does. It depends upon what happens. Joy, however, is a much deeper thing. Joy is the deep inward sense of gladness and pleasure and even fulfillment and enjoyment that a person can experience within their soul as the result of a spiritual experience with God who deposits it there by a supernatural work. Despite circumstances, joy is rooted in an experience with God because as we experience God, he can give to us an inward satisfaction that stays there irregardless of circumstances. My circumstances can change, but I can still retain joy in the depth of my soul. My situation may be difficult, but I can still experience joy and pleasure in the Lord, though things may not be the way that I want them to outwardly or in a situation that I find myself in. What a wonderful thing. You know, God never changes. Circumstances do, but God never changes. That's why even when we do go through hard times, and we will, we, even in the midst of hard times, even painful times, can still have joy being the experience within. The Bible speaks of being sorrowful, yet still rejoicing. And the word rejoicing is the verb form of the word Joy. So possessing a delightful sense of enjoyment within is because we're having enjoyment in an experience with God. That's what joy brings to a person. Look, I believe that this desire for joy is something every person is honestly craving and longing for. That's why people, folks, try so hard to find joy or enjoyment in so many other things in life. People search after joy or enjoyment in success, in money, in the acquisition of more money. They try and find enjoyment and joy through some pleasure they pursue or some recreational pursuit or, or some hobby, or maybe it's through a relationship or accomplishments because we are prone to think that being joyful can somehow be discovered through circumstantial pursuits or indulgences, yet in reality, all of us, if we are honest, know that there are times when people can have their hands completely full and their hearts are still completely empty. There are people out there whose hands are completely filled with everything possible that they could have. And yet their hearts are inwardly empty and they have no joy and actually they're quite miserable inside. Paul understood the only authentic source of encountering real joy is God himself. Isaiah 29 says, The humble shall increase their joy in the Lord. 
and the poor, those who have nothing, the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So what's the proper pathway to experiencing joy inwardly despite what's going on? It's in encountering the Lord. Encountering the Lord. Having a personal experience with the Lord Jesus because he can supernaturally produce joy inside our soul. He can provide the experience of joy in the depth of our inner person. See, joy is something, listen, that is given to us from God supernaturally. It is a gift from God supernaturally deposited in the depth of someone's soul and spirit. Listen to Psalm 4. The psalmist declared this to God. He said, God, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season when their grain and wine increased. So the psalmist looked around and he saw people who were getting way more wealthy than he was. Their crops were abundantly producing. He saw people who were having great amounts of indulgence and wine and festivity. And he says, but yet, God, you've put gladness into my heart in a way that they know nothing about because God had given that inner gladness. Look, there is the joy, of course, of salvation. That is, when you come to know your sins are forgiven and you are not guilty before God and that you're going to heaven and God's involved in your life and all that salvation includes, there's that joy of of the Lord's salvation. There's the joy of just the satisfaction of experiencing God and letting his joy be something that you experience because you can just rejoice in the Lord. Maybe you can't rejoice in anything else in life, but you can always rejoice in the Lord because of how wonderful he is. So Paul prayed that God would fill them with all joy. And I find that inner joy translates also then into contentment in our spirit and gratitude within our heart. Notice he also prayed not only that God would fill them with all joy, but also that God would fill them, he says, verse 13, with peace. And peace, of course, is that inner calm, the sense of rest within It's a state of inward tranquility. So things may be chaotic outwardly, but yet something within me gives me the freedom from restlessness, from being all agitated, from being uh, just kind of anxious or depressed in my thoughts or my feelings. Peace is the absence of inner conflict. It's the, the, the liberation from feeling like a tornado is going on inside of us. It describes being undisturbed inside. An experience where our mind is untroubled, it's that experience of peace where we just kind of know all is well. That it's well with my soul, it's well inwardly, it's that inward assurance peace is that everything is okay and it's ultimately going to be okay. And that's what peace is. It's knowing that we don't have to be anxious and overwhelmed and despair because it gives us an awareness that all is well and it gives an inward tranquility. Who in their right mind does not want to experience peace inside of their soul? Every human being is longing for an inward calm, a a sense of rest, that absence of being agitated and restless within Everybody craves and yearns for that in their life. Again, that is why so many are out there searching for peace, 
trying to find peace in all sorts of empty pursuits, whether it's abusing substances, looking for a temporary you know, high to kind of have some initial temporary peace to disconnect from the world only to find out that it was worthless because when they come back down, everything's still the same, and then they're oftentimes more agitated and the peace doesn't last. There are people searching for peace and fulfillment and all kinds of things. And sadly, even those who are considering in their hopelessness that even ending their life would somehow bring some peace. Look, ultimately, all of those things are wrong pursuits for peace, and they just leave people continually disappointed anyway because they don't solve the issue. You know, the great struggle of the person who does not have relationship with God yet is the deception of searching for everything else for peace. And it's kind of like, and I was there once at one point in my life before I had a relationship with the Lord, where it's like you're running all around in a mouse maze and you're just searching like a mouse in a maze looking for something to finally give you some peace. And truth be told, if we were honest, even the error of some of the Lord's people from time to time, we can make the mistake on occasion where we kind of enter back into that mouse maze. And we go searching for peace again and all these other things as we get ourselves off track. Look, complete peace, lasting peace, can only be found from God, from the God of peace, from the God who can give to us peace. It's as we make peace with God regarding our condition spiritually, we're freed from that guilt and we're nowhere at peace with our Creator. And then, of course, there's the peace of God, an experiential peace through the Spirit as we have relationship with Jesus. John 14, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. See, as we live in right relationship with Jesus, he says, I give to you my peace. Look at the life of the Lord Jesus in the gospel accounts. Jesus never seemed to have any time in his life when his peace was disturbed. He was in the midst of storms and he was completely calm. And Jesus says, my peace, I give you my peace. He gives us through our experience with him, the very peace that he has. He imparts it supernaturally into our soul. So understanding not what or where, but who peace comes from is important. Peace comes from the God himself who supplies it. That's why Paul asked that God would fill them, that God would fill us with joy and peace so that we could be settled and have a stable mind and a heart that's at rest inwardly. Well, where does that come from? How's that obtained experience? Well, notice Paul in our verse identifies the human doorway whereby joy and peace from God can enter into our souls. Do you see what he says in verse 13 as our text tracks onward? He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, important words here, in believing. In believing. Now, the idea there is when you're believing, while you're exercising belief, that will be the doorway that opens God to bring that joy and peace inside of you. The word believing there means to consider something true to the degree where you fully trust and rely upon it. And pay attention here. This is our human responsibility in order to experience what God is offering to us. Joy, peace, hope within our lives. These are supernatural benefits that happen in the realm of believing. 
That is, when I choose to believe God for who he is, when I choose to believe God's word is true and something that is certain, when I believe God's promises, as I'm exercising belief and I make the decision to believe God and I make the decision to trust God, that opens the doorway to experience from God the thing that God wants to give to me as a gift, his joy, his peace, and hope in our lives. In the spiritual life, it is in believing that there then comes the receiving of the gifts that God wants to give to us. Always remember that. This is our one responsibility. We must believe. When we choose to believe, that is how we then begin to receive. That is our part cooperatively in the process. We must exercise faith and choose to believe in order to receive what God wants for us. Now, that applies first and foremost in regards to just salvation. When a person believes what the Bible says about them is true, that we are all sinful and that we do not deserve to enter into heaven because we've all failed and made ourselves guilty before God and that everybody misses the standard because we've all sinned and our sin separates us from a holy God, it's when I believe that's true But then I also believe that God in his love sent Jesus Christ to come and to live the sinless, perfect life that we can't to meet the standard humanity needs to have access into heaven. And that Jesus then died in our place, taking the punishment for our sins upon the cross, was dead, buried, and three days later rose from the dead back to life and ascended back into heaven. And now Jesus Christ is the Savior, the one and only Savior. It's when I believe that and I believe that I must come to Jesus to have my sins forgiven, that I must come to Jesus and let him give me access into heaven and eternal life, and that the only way to make peace with God regarding the condition of my soul and my eternity is through his son, Jesus Christ, not through religious efforts or good works or anything else. When I believe what the Bible says is true and I receive Jesus Christ's salvation for me as a sinner, that's when I then experience salvation, forgiveness of sins, the assurance of eternal life. And when we experience salvation, guess what a person experiences? Peace, like they've never known before inside of themselves. And internal joy in a way like they've never known before. Now, even as a Christian, it's in our continual believing in who God is and what his word says that opens up our lives to experiencing greater measures continually of God's peace inside of us. And the joy of the Lord inside of us as we're navigating life's decisions, as we go through difficulties, as we face our own temptations with things in our lives, as we believe upon the Lord for who he is and what he's declared, the result is his peace floods into my soul, his joy floods into my soul, his hope begins to rise within me. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep God in perfect peace Him whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. So God says that if we keep our mind on him, if we keep our focus on him and our faith and belief in him, he will keep us peaceful by a supernatural work of calming us within through our trust in him. You know, honestly, oftentimes I found in my life, and maybe you've experienced as well, that oftentimes... A lack of joy and peace in a believer's life can be due to a lack of believing. That is, perhaps we're not trusting the Lord in relation to something that we're facing. 
And that's why we have no peace. And that's why we have no joy. Maybe we're not believing that Jesus has the power to perform something that we need him to do. And that's why we don't have joy. And that's why we don't have peace. Maybe we're not believing what God's word says is worthy to be obeyed. And so we're living disobedient or inconsistent to what the scripture declares is true. And as a result of that, because we're not obeying what the word says, because we believe it's true. Instead, we're living in disobedience and we're miserable and we don't have peace and joy is missing from our lives. Maybe we're not trusting some promise of God that he can do what he promised and that we don't have to figure it out or manipulate it on our own, but that God has the power to perform it. And because we're not believing it, we're stressed, we're lacking peace. We may not just be believing who God he is. And look, at times, I think we can, if we're not careful, and this is my caution to all of us, I think sometimes we can almost shut out the spiritual flow of the Lord's peace in our lives. We can shut out and quench the Spirit from giving to us joy in our lives because of unbelief. Because we're not believing God and trusting God and we find ourselves stressed out or anxious and depressed or feeling overwhelmed and hopeless. And our text reminds us that the God of hope wants to fill us with joy. He wants to fill us with peace, but that happens how? Verse 13, it happens in our believing. As we're believing, that's opened the doorway for God to do what he wants to do. Question this morning, have you cut off the flow of God's joy and peace in your life? Is that possible? Sometimes we sense a lack of joy, a lack of peace, and what we try and do, instead of believing and receiving, we try even Christian mechanics. And let me explain what I mean by that. We read the Bible a little more. So we think, okay, maybe if I read the Bible a little bit more, but let me say... It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to read the Bible and believe what the Bible says and to consciously act upon it because you believe what you're reading is true. That's vastly different. We may pray a little bit and think maybe that'll give us some peace if we pray a little bit, but are we believing that God is listening? Are we believing and trusting that God is going to answer? That's a big difference. Jesus said of prayer, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. You know, one man said this in quote, he said, it's not Bible reading or prayer that unlocks the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. It is believing that what you read and believing what you pray. The God of hope cannot fill us with joy and peace if we do not believe. He wants to fill us with joy. He wants to fill us with peace. But that happens in our believing. And notice Paul tells us why he wants this to take place. He says, may God fill you with joy and peace in believing. Verse 13, look at it. He says, so that you may abound in hope. The word abound there speaks to overflow like a river overflowing its banks God wanted to see them experience fullness of joy, like an overflowing river that it would create an overflowing amount of hope so that no matter what's currently happening circumstantially, that people can still be experiencing an overflowing assurance something better is around the corner, that they can still have an overflowing expectation that good things are still ahead. 
an overflowing confidence that much better things are ultimately going to come to pass. You know, I look at this verse as almost kind of like a, and I hate to use the analogy, but like a spiritual recipe. It's like God's looking at us, knowing what we all struggle with, and he says, look, Paul says, may the God of hope, may he fill you with all joy and all peace by you just believing so that you can abound in hope as that happens by the power of his Holy Spirit bringing into your life what you're longing for. You know, Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We may be under constant pressures in life, but we can be confidently hopeful that God is working and believing, choosing to believe that God is working. Romans 5 says we know that we can glory in tribulations because tribulations will produce perseverance. Perseverance will develop character and character gives to us hope. Hope that God is not using what's happening in our life in a detrimental way, but he'll use it in a constructive way to bring something beneficial to us personally. Again, Romans 8 promises the believer that we can know, be certain, that God works all things. What's the word all mean? All. Negative things, good things, anything. God works, takes and works all things together for the good to those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because ultimately, he will work things for good, whether it's making something good come in this life, or making us through that difficulty have a greater attachment to heaven, or become more like Christ, or causing us to rejoice more that God one day, thank you, there's something beyond this, and we become more eternally focused. There are many ways God can work things for the good. And I understand our world and these current days are a breeding ground for hopelessness. Because if all we experience is life on earth, that would cause a person to be pretty hopeless. If this is the best that there is to ever experience is this earth. If all the person has is reliance on self, that's going to guarantee hopelessness in a matter of time. If a person is trying to live independent of God and do everything on their own, no matter what they pursue or how hard they try, they're going to end up feeling hopeless. Yet the reality is God wants to and God's able to instill hope into people's lives. And it's not just hope for our sake. It's so that we might be a conduit to pass along hope to many hopeless people around us in this world. To tell people that hopelessness is not the end all, that you may feel a sense of hopelessness, but there is hope. There's hope from a God of hope who can give to you what you need to overcome the sense of hopelessness. Finally, notice the last part of verse 13, how the prayer ends, showing how our need of supernatural help from God is what causes us to experience all these things. Look at our verse with me in entirety again. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In your believing, that you may then abound in hope, overflow with hope. How does that happen, though? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Important to understand how joy, peace, abounding hope is experienced in our life and how it comes to pass. It comes to pass by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hear me. I can't create joy inside of myself. 
probably one of my biggest struggles as a human being, my family would be the first to tell you, is, is I kind of have a tendency towards being irritable sometimes. I kind of have a tendency at times to, to almost wanting to be miserable at times. I, I can't just make myself joyful. I can't just manufacture that. You can't cause yourself to be more peaceful. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try this, meditate something. Listen. You can't make yourself more peaceful. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, God can produce peace inside of an agitated soul. God can produce joy, a sense of enjoyment and contentment inside of a person who may be completely miserable naturally. That word power there in the Greek speaks of a strong, miraculous power that can overcome any resistance. It speaks of the dynamic power of an almighty God. Folks, we have to remember the Christian life and all of its experience is a supernatural life. It's not a life of self-resolve, human effort, where we try and be more optimistic or, or calm ourselves down through different... Th- it's a life where God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, produces changes in me and changes in you that we can't produce within ourselves. That God changes our minds. God brings supernatural change to our hearts. It's the difference between using a rowboat or a power speedboat, right? Uh, Both may be headed to the same destination, but the people in the rowboat are exerting a lot of human effort, straining at the oars. The people in the speedboat, they're headed to the same destination, but they're relying on a power source beyond themselves. As a Christian... As a person, period, we are not supposed to be straining at the oars. We're supposed to be submitting and relying upon the power of God to let him help us to do those things that we cannot do for ourselves. Changes happen in our hearts and minds and attitudes by the power of God's Spirit. Miraculously, supernaturally, doing what we cannot do for ourselves by his great power. Perhaps you're trying to experience inward change in your life right now. And maybe you're trying to do it on your own effort. Paul here would say to us, no, no, no. May the God of hope, Paul would say, the God of hope, may he fill you with all joy and all peace that by believing you may be able to abound in hope by the power of his spirit working inside of you. Ephesians 3 says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God has such hope for what he is able to do in your life. He wants to do a greater work inside of all of us. Do you sense a lack of joy, a lack of peace, Maybe inside, look, God alone can supply that. Get alone with God. Encounter God. Let God do for you what only God can do in you. Are you struggling with a sense of hopelessness today? Maybe you genuinely may feel like completely giving up. Sadly, you may even be struggling with the tendency of thinking that you need to end your life because you feel so utterly hopeless And you're looking for some sense of peace. Look, let me tell you, taking and ending your own life is not the solution. It's not what's necessary. It's not true. God is the solution. The solution is there a God of hope who has hope for you that you may not be able to see for yourself right now. You don't have to have hope in your own ability or hope in anything else. The God of hope has hope for you. 
and just believe what he can do in you, what he can help you with to overcome. The God of hope wants to help you and give you the power to carry on and not to escape this life, but to be able to endure it and to experience it, even with peace and joy in a way you never have before. Maybe you can feel somewhat frustrated or hopeless in regarding your inward condition. You think it is just not possible. I'm never going to be able to change in this area of my life. Look, let me tell you this morning, power belongs to God. Maybe you can never change what's going on or who you are inwardly, but with, with God, nothing's impossible. Because God has the power by his Holy Spirit to bring great changes in our heart, soul, and mind. And this happens in our believing. Today, can I give you an encouragement? Are you willing today to believe what God says here? Are you willing to believe it? Just to believe it. To say, you know what? I will choose to believe that he is a God of hope. I will choose to believe that he can fill my heart with his joy and his peace so that in my believing in him and what this says, I can start to abound in hope by the power of his spirit working inside of me as I fully believe it and say, God, I believe it. Please, I'm asking you, do it. Hey, I challenge you, call upon the Lord, ask him to do it and watch how he works in your life. 